been focusing on the journey of our Lord Jesus to the cross. At a certain point in his ministry, he began to set his face toward Jerusalem as the time was drawing near. And Luke draws attention to that in chapter 9. And now he's continuing that journey. And on Palm Sunday, five days before the death of Christ on Good Friday, he announces his kingship by riding into Jerusalem, into his city, where he's going to die, on the colt of a donkey. Page 1044 of your pew Bibles, Luke 19, we'll read 28 through 48, with a focus especially on that first section there under the triumphal entry. Luke 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on the day the things that make for peace, on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were sold or who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging On his words. Verse 38 saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed be his name. The Lord build us up through his word. 
brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, what's so impressive and so attractive about this event of the triumphal entry is the, the perfect combination of meekness and power and humility and authority in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a perfect combination that commends Jesus to us as the king we need. The only one who can save you is the one who's got both of this, these to perfection. If he's really kind but not powerful, all powerful, he can't save you. If he's very powerful but not kind, he will not save you. But when he's both, he's just the king who meets your need and there is no other. This is the long-awaited king For thousands of years, Israel's been waiting for him, for God to bring him into the world so that he could save not just Israel, but the good news of him could go out to the nations. Now, each gospel writer has his own angle inspired by the Holy Spirit on Jesus. And Luke especially emphasizes the authority of Jesus in the triumphal entry. And you see that authority really in seven different scenes. First, that he... That he commands the disciples to go ahead and, 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 and get a colt. And that he commands that colt from the owners and requisitions it for himself. And then he commandeers that young donkey that's never been ridden and controls it into the city. And then he commands praises from the people. So that if they won't sing, the rocks will cry out. And then he weeps over the city of Jerusalem and he prophesies about it. Authority. And then he teaches in the temple. He cleanses the temple. And then he teaches in the temple. So that everyone hangs on his word. And the authorities that want to get him can't. Their hands are tied. The majesty. The beauty. Beautiful, beautiful Savior. And he's calling every one of us today, give yourself to this king. There's no better, no safer place for your life than he. Even if you've already trusted in him for years and years, give yourself to him again. If you never have and you've been holding yourself back because you want to live for yourself, today's the day. He's coming to you. This is your day of visitation. That makes for your peace. Don't reject him or it'll end up being your destruction. Oh, we sang of him earlier. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And so we honor and glorify him now. You want to honor God? Bless the name of Jesus. So here we see, on this journey to the cross, the king reaches his city, he reaches his destination, on a donkey first, on a mission secondly, and on a collision course. On donkey. Luke, remember, is focused here on Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. 
that we read in 9 verse 51 a few weeks ago, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was going there to die. He knew it. He said it publicly several times that there he would be arrested, beaten, condemned, crucified, killed. The beautiful thing, and we see that here, he didn't have to be dragged to his city. He wasn't forced to to give up his life on the cross as an offering to God for sin. He did it voluntarily. He chose this path. He was determined to do this. It was a sacrifice of love, freely given. And you see that in the opening words of this passage in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead. Going to Jerusalem. He said that one time in his ministry. Nobody's taking my life from me. I am giving it. I'm giving it. And so you see that here also in how he commands his arrival in Jerusalem. He he makes arrangements to reach his destination. Verse 29, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he said, or he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied in which no one has ever yet sat untied and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. He knows his time has come and he's arranging his own trip into Jerusalem just the way God wants it. He knows his enemies are waiting to capture him. The first opportunity they get, they'll lay their hands on him and arrest him and crucify him. But he plans his way to get there. His heart is set on giving up his life. Nobody's going to drag it out of him or force him into it. And so you read in verse 32, those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? What are you guys doing? That's mine. And they said, the Lord has need of it. Okay, it's the Lord, it's the Messiah, it's his. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. The Lord has need of it. And it might look like the Lord is a needy creature here. Well, he is in his human nature, but the word need here can also be translated, the Lord requires it. He commands it, he requires it. He's calling for it. He requires it to fulfill prophecy. That's what's going on here. God's word says it. He will do it. Zechariah 9 verse 9. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. I need, I require I command a donkey's colt. Again, we see Jesus is taking matters into his own hands and he's leading the way. He's going on ahead 
Do you ever wonder whether Jesus wants to be your savior? Do you sometimes wonder, wonder whether he's that passionate for your salvation when you consider sometimes you're not that passionate for him? How often you don't live for him and love him as he should. And then you wonder whether Jesus' heart is really set on you. Well, if you wonder that, wonder no more. He is determined to go there for you. And he loves you so much more than you can ever love him. And he's so much more committed to you in his covenant than you can ever be committed to him. And you may be sure that when you call upon him, he is yours. He's for you. He stops at nothing. The lovely scene here, God coming to his people. Because we sinners will not and cannot come to him. I am coming to you. Take me. I'm yours. We sometimes say that to the Lord. Take me. I'm yours. He says that to us. He comes. Take me. I'm yours. And even though he's terrified of the pain that's, that lays ahead for him. We'll read that in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yet that pain and that terror, uh, that hellish agony that is not going to keep him out of the way, he's committed. He led the charge. They didn't take his life from him. He gave his life for you. I think of that way where he commanded the owners the Lord requires the donkey's colt of you today. To be used for the coming of the kingdom. And the donkey owners say, it's yours. And he does the same for us, our great king. He doesn't need your money, but he says, I command you to use that for mission. I, I, I command you to give me your car to pick up David and Ernest and Mike and Jeff. And I command you to buy that house on Frank Street because the youth ministry in town needs a home. Here, Lord, it's yours. Think of the different ways in which our master is requisitioning from us what's ours for his glory and his kingdom because it's actually his. And we say, Lord, it's yours. It's really a beautiful picture of the majesty of our Lord calling forth from his people tools gifts for the coming of his kingdom. What a king. 
What a king. Authority exercised in the service of absolute love. He's going to die. Earthly kings lift themselves up by trampling on their people. This king lowers himself and allows himself to be trampled on to lift you up. Under his authority, you'll not be hurt. You'll be saved. Do not be afraid to give your life to him. Because his heart, we read at the beginning of Luke 19, though we didn't read it this morning, but with the calling of Zacchaeus, the Son of Man has come to seek and save what was lost. Luke 19, verse 10. Riding on a donkey, lowly yet commanding it. It's never been ridden. That thing should be going like all over the place, right? Not under the majesty and the authority of King Jesus. He's gentle and lowly, powerful, commanding, and authoritative at the same time. He comes secondly on a mission. Look at verse 37. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. When Jesus was born, the angel said, Peace on earth. Peace in heaven. That's really what we need. A heaven that's at peace with us and is not going to come out and destroy us because of our sin. Blessed is this king who comes to bring peace in heaven toward us who are on earth and glory to God in the highest. Glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Here's the other response. See that twofold response? Praising him, rejoicing him, shouting his praises, singing hosannas. But the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop this nonsense. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So Jesus is not only commanding the the unbroken colt to ride obediently for the Messiah King. He's commanding the crowds to sing, the whole multitude of disciples. Because this too is part of the prophecy that he must fulfill from Zechariah. Not only that the king is coming to you riding, gentle and riding on the colt of a donkey, but as he rides in, Jerusalem is shouting, rejoice greatly. Listen to Zechariah 9 again. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zion, you got to shout. Israel, you got to rejoice. It must be. He not only 
requires the donkeys, Colt. He requires the praises. And if you guys don't give it to me, the rocks will. Because creation also, says Romans 8, groans longing for Jesus to come and rescue it from its bondage to decay, rescue it from the curse. Amazing. So they begin to rejoice and they praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works we read, the mighty works they had seen. Verse 37. Demons cast out. Blind eyes being opened. Lame legs getting their strength back and walking again. Lazarus, dead, raised up. They know this is the Messiah. And they sing his praises. Oh, I know in a few days they're going to shout, crucify, crucify. It's a fickle crowd. And they don't understand all that they're saying. But what they see here and say here, they see and say rightly. This is the coming of God's king. But there's more going on here, congregation. Do you know why all these pilgrims are in Jerusalem? What are the crowds doing there? Jesus is riding in. As things are getting warmed up, heated up for Passover celebration. When they celebrated God's past deliverance for Israel, the children of Israel, when they were living under Pharaoh's tyranny in Egypt. And the 10th plague. God's going to enter every household through the angel of death and somebody's going to die, get killed in every household. But if you shed the blood of the lamb, the blood of the covenant, and sprinkle that on the door frames of your house, the angel of death, God's judgment will pass over your house. You'll be spared by God's love and mercy. And that was a great deliverance, remember. When every Egyptian home It was death, mourning, weeping, wailing. And in every Israelite home, rescue. And then Pharaoh, so upset, he says, get out of my land. And God sets them free through the blood of the lamb. The passing over of the angel of death. But the Passover also celebrated and looked forward to a greater deliverance, a greater Moses, a greater Passover, Messiah, the King, who would set them completely free from sin and misery and usher them into a shalom, a peace, a safety, where nothing can get at you, no sickness, no enemy, no judgment. Nothing to harm or destroy. And they were praying for God to come and save us. Hosanna, save us. And so at the Passover feast, they would sing Psalms 113 through 118. And the Passover feast would end with singing Psalm 119. 118. Hosanna, save us. Send us prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They sing this psalm 
before Passover starts. Because they're recognizing the moment of the Savior's visitation, the coming of God's King to them. So it says if they fast forward to the end of the feast and say, it's here, he's here, the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Even though they hardly, again, understand what they're saying. In just a few days, they'll turn against him and shout for his crucifixion. They see it right at this moment. This is who he is and this is his mission. He's the king who comes in the name of the Lord to accomplish a far greater Passover than Moses brought. He's the Lamb of God who's riding into Jerusalem to be slaughtered to save his people from their sins, to wear the crown of thorns, to come under the judgment, to become sin and a curse for us, to go to the cross, to perish. That's his mission. And he will not swerve from it. He will not. He cannot lose his way. All other kings before have, have fallen off the pathway at some point. Saul lost his way. David stumbled. Asa, Hezekiah, but not Jesus. What a blessed king. All glory, laud, and honor to thee, Redeemer King. And that's what they shouted before he went to the cross already to offer up his life. How much more does he not deserve our praises after he's completed his mission and now he's seated at God's right hand and he's paid the price. And he's purchased our full deliverance. And paradise is on the way, perfect shalom. He's bought it with his precious blood. He's entered it by ascending to heaven. And he's getting the world ready for his return when heaven shall come to earth and the wicked will perish. Those who do not receive Jesus as their king and all his people will enter into the joy and glory of heaven. Oh, throw your coats down before him and honor him. And shout and sing his praises. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Embrace him as your savior. Because that's his mission. To save you from your sins and judgment. And you hear him weeping over Jerusalem in the next passage. It means like an ongoing sobbing, loud sobbing for his city. When he's come to bring peace. But they've not recognized him as their king. They refuse to acknowledge him. And so instead they will be destroyed. 
Don't let that happen to you. He's calling you now to bless him. Embrace him, receive him, and bless him. Blessed is the king who has come in the name of the Lord. Is that where your life is at? Where you are blessing Jesus for who he is and what he has done. The king of glory, mighty in battle, who took your sin and God's wrath and he fought it and he destroyed it by having it nailed to his own body and soul on the cross so you can stand forgiven and have life. Well, we see thirdly that his entry puts him on a collision course with the leaders of Israel. 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The Pharisees, chief priests, and scribes also were angry. How could this be happening? They're calling Jesus the Messiah. How can he accept such praise? That's blasphemy. He should be killed for this. And they cannot tolerate, they find unbearable this praise for Jesus that identifies him with Messiah. And they say, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop it. We can't stand this. And they're busy right at this moment coming up a way to, with a way to do away with him. And Jesus knew that ahead of time. He knew that this journey to Jerusalem was a collision course with death. He knew what would cause him to collide with the false shepherds of Israel. He had said earlier, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And now by his own authority, he put their hatred into high gear. That's what he did. He put their hatred into high gear. Came riding into his city as their heaven-sent Messiah who comes in the name of the Lord and They can't take it. They reject him as king. And they reject his praises as king. But brothers and sisters, their demand sadly was wrong. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They were wrong because he is the king. He is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. He is the Messiah. He is the blessed one. And they must bless him. And they must praise him. But they won't. The collision is not Jesus' problem. It's theirs. It's their hard hearts. And brothers and sisters, that problem continues today. When we proclaim Jesus is the Christ, some hail him as their matchless king, but others collide with him in unbelief. I do not want him as my king. 
I do not want to submit to his authority. He's a threat to my lifestyle. He's a threat to my sense of controlling my own life. I do not want to yield the control to him. That will hurt me. That will threaten my job and my belief system and the things I love so deeply and the idols that I'm holding on to. And then rather than repent of their sins and surrender their lives to Jesus, they choose to reject him and they hang on to themselves. Brothers and sisters, if you are hanging on to yourself or if you are rejecting the Lord Jesus in order to hang on to yourself, you have made an utterly foolish choice because all there is in you is sin, judgment, and hell. You want that? Is that what you want to live for? But if you grab onto him, you're giving up your sin, judgment, and hell. You're giving it over to him for him to take that from you so you can receive instead blessing, life. I urge you not to continue on your collision course with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're 10 years old right now and you don't like this God stuff, this Jesus stuff. And you look outside and you think, I could have a better life if I didn't have all this God stuff and religion in my life. You might be only 10 years old and already thinking that. Don't let yourself continue thinking that way. Because it's not going to lead anywhere good in your life. How much more when you're 15 or 18 or 20 or 22? Let's give our lives to him who is worthy of praise and not stand against him and collide with him who is our Savior, because he comes in meekness and lowliness, and he commands our praise because he's the praiseworthy one, the blessed one. If we don't praise his name, the rocks will cry out, but he will receive praise and honor. Well, the joy that the disciples experienced that Palm Sunday is nothing compared to the joy that we have today. The sacrifice has been made and we stand forgiven at the cross and we have the hope of glory. And the joy we know today is nothing compared to the joy that we will experience on that day when Jesus comes back and will say one more time, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. J.C. Ryle writes, the joy of Christ's disciples at his entry into Jerusalem when he came to be crucified will be as nothing compared to the joy of his people when he comes again to reign. I close with a picture of that. Revelation 7. And after this I looked and behold a great multitude no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen.
Let's pray. Father, we look for that day when you return on the clouds of heaven and we can say once more, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord and wave our palm branches as we hail you, King Jesus, coming to take his people into their full deliverance. Lord Jesus, open the gates of our hearts to you now to receive you as our king so that this blessed hope of your appearing and final victory may also be ours now. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.